Hello, friends, and welcome to FM On Demand with Tara Fitzpatrick, the podcast of Food Management Magazine. I'm your host, Tara Fitzpatrick. On this episode, we're continuing to chug along with our little mini series about the winners of our healthcare recipe contest. And today we are talking to Jeffrey Quasha. He is a chef that's one of the main creative people at Morrison Healthcare. And this is an organization that they really are ahead of the curve in terms of a lot of things. And we've written about them a lot and I've featured Jeffrey, but never really in this format before. So this is exciting. We get get to know him a little bit better and we have really good conversation about food as medicine and kind of the things that are, um, just sort of on the docket for healthcare dining and trends that are coming up. It's research and development kind of talk. So if you're interested in some trends, food trends, just in general, he's a really good guy to listen to. And we also talk about, um, he was classically French trained chef. And we talk about why that still is um, relevant for kitchens. Like it's the language and that, that kind of stuff is pretty interesting. So if you want to geek out on some chef talk, this is the podcast for you. Thanks so much and please enjoy. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. This is absolutely an amazing opportunity. Thank you so much. For sure. And our little series about the winners of the healthcare recipe contest still going strong. Jeffrey is a winner. It's the Mediterranean Meze plate. And this is, it's just the perfect sort of feel good lunch, if you will. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit, how did this come to be? And the Mediterranean diet is tied into this too, obviously in the name. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of what the direction that we're doing currently in Morrison Healthcare is we're trying to take the word hospital out of hospital food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for years, we've had this distinction about retail food, patient food, doctor's dining food. Yeah. And now the only focus now is just putting great food on the plate. You know, we just want to start with great food first. So the Mediterranean or the Mez plate that we created was kind of one of the first recipes that we started to test the waters of how far we can now push the boundaries with creating amazing uh, guest experiences for our patients. So, you know, as I eat out and I know, you know, as you dine out frequently too, like me, we're foodies. We love to go out and we love starters. We like to eat with our fingers or, you know, we like a little bit, right. A little bit of Mm -hmm. knowledge, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when you think about a mez plate, you know, and even like even what's happening with charcuterie or the mez, everyone likes that little bit of that sampler, but mm-hmm. also how big, uh, you know, the Mediterranean diet is, you know, people are very, you know, keto centric or they're really watching what they eat. So they want to, you know, it's a little bit of a sampler. So our combination of, we have this amazing herb tabbouleh with some crispy oh, yeah. falafel, pickled onions. Of course you have to have some tzatziki, kalamata olives and some pita to dip in. Like I'm a, I'm a, a dipper and eater type of person. I want to rip it, dip it and eat it. So (laughs) I think that's kind of was the inspiration for the mess plate. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah. Dipping is where it's at. I I just recently, I was a little late to the party, but I started watching only murders in the building with um, my daughter, Martin Short's character, who is stealing the whole show, by the way, love him. And he is a big dipper. Like he's very into like having dips all around. So this, this goes right into it. And a lot of times, sometimes on restaurant menus, I notice the most creative and like the best at the end of the meal, I'm like, boy, those appetizers were the best thing that we had. Correct. Sometimes yes. 
It's like changing the way that we eat because sometimes when it comes time to like order this big lumbering entree, you're like, oh, geez, like I'd rather just have a little of this and a little of that. So no, that's really, perfect yeah. answer because I'm a shareable type of person. Like I love mm. to like order every appetizer on the menu and it's just For a different sure. way of eating. You know, we're not, we're not center of the plate is completely changed. Like the perception, I think also after COVID, you know, yeah. people are just more cognitive of, of how they're creating their plate presentations. So small plates, I think is definitely the future. For sure. And I like how you mentioned kind of uh, trying to erase that dichotomy between patient side and retail side, because I know when I talk to healthcare operators, I kind of, I use that lingo, but this is kind of a nice way to like, everyone is going to be getting something that's, that's awesome. So for cool. sure. And then when you think about some of the other videos that you've done and some of the other podcasts, now you're talking about purchasing alignment. You're talking about cross-utilization of products. Like there shouldn't be any differentiation between, you know, patient, retail, doctors, dining, and catering. It's all the same food and it just starts with great, amazing food first. So, you know, imagine yeah. a, a, a doctor walking into a patient's room and then right in front of them, you know, there there's that Mediterranean mess plate and the doctor comments, oh my gosh, I had that yesterday in the cafeteria or <laughs> I had that in the doctor's dining room. Or when a nurse walks into a room and the patient's like, well, how's the food? And now the patient and the nurse is, the nurse is saying the food is absolutely amazing. Like that totally changes the yes. guest experience because the narrative now changes. So like I said, if we can take the word hospital, you know, hospital and hospitality are so tied together. So that's yeah. what we're trying to do is drive hospitality within our walls. Um, and like I said, that elevates and changes the entire guest experience. Absolutely. There still is that stigma. There still is the feeling for so many people that, oh, hospital food, it's bad. It's just like a bad situation all around. And it really, uh, and it's just, it's kind of so ingrained in people. So doing stuff like this is a great way to show like, Hey, it's, it's different. And I wanted to find out too, about some stuff that you have that you've been doing over the summer or happening into early fall, like some projects that, that Morrison has been developing. What are some interesting things that yeah, no, for you? I don't think we ever stopped developing, you know, right? I've, been, <laughs> I've been a research and development chef for Morrison for over eight years. And, you know, we're always planning a year to almost two years out so um in the fall we're actually going to launch uh, a filipino concept a peruvian concept a ceviche concept and then uh, a kicked up korean barbecue concept with some korean corn dogs so that's more on the retail side but oh, it's like hitting so many <laughs> trends there like i'm getting so many ideas for stories just hearing that i yeah. always lately i've i've really been hearing that filipino food it's coming it's going to be like people yeah. are going to start appreciating it more let's could we could you give us like a little bit of a primer like what are some of the characteristics of filipino food cuz i don't think most people really have a good like idea in their head like what are some of the things that you're working on for that seg or that part of it yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think lumpia is one of the biggest dishes that we have, or you have adobo. So, you know, a lot of the times when we're doing, you got to be careful these days, especially with, you know, the, the social media, or, you know, if you call something Filipino, you have to try to push it as far as yeah. it truly is in terms of ethnic, um, you know, when you define something as ethnic or as Filipino. Or so authentic, course, yeah, yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. And using authentic ingredients, you know, like, 
I think banana ketchup is another is, is a, a condiment oh, that is known to be with Filipino cuisine. I, so, I can't even imagine that. My my brain is like, what would that flavor be? What? Oh, <laughs> I'm it's, not the it's, biggest banana fan, but I mean, right. I, I would try it. <laughs> and it's yellow. So, I mean, of course, you know, we're, we have that stigma of ketchup yep. being red tomato, yes, but yes. so we have an adobo bowl. Um, we also did a, a form of like I said, of lumpia, but you know, I'm all about deconstructing things. So, you know, lumpia is, you know, crispy and it's got this amazing flavor and it's, you know, um, you know, it's similar to like, like an egg roll in a sense. Um, so I love ripping things open, you know, Jay Z Mm -hmm. brows here, chef Jay Z is my R and D chef in charge of retail. So, you know, we like to reimagine food. So if you ripped open lumpia and deconstructed it, what would that look like? And then would that be over rice and what are the traditional condiments? So because there usually meat in there, it's like a protein. I believe that I had this at a black party. I think there was a gentleman that they said this is these are like Filipino egg rolls, basically, is what Correct. they were saying. Yeah. So a lot of yeah. times it has pork, you know, but we also like to do things vegetarian. We've done it where we've we've uh, partnered with Impossible, where it might be plant mm-hmm. forward or plant based. Um, mm-hmm. So like I said, we have the deconstructed lopia bowl. Um, we're doing like an infused spritz, like a mango style spritz. But I mean, if you have that Southeast Asian influence, of course, you have an American influence too. But then you have more of a um, like a Japanese and Chinese influence. So it's yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a hodgepodge. It's like a melting pot. Yeah, they so, have their own melting pot. Correct. In the Philippines. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's such a large country. So, yeah. you know, every island, of course, is has its own flavor profile. Oh, I'm sure we could get into regions like the sort of the same way we've seen with Mexico where it's like instead of just Mexican food it's like we now know that something is Oaxacan or whatever it may be so yeah there's a lot to explore right. just geographically for sure and then because of social media and because of Yelp and you talked about this authentic regionalism um you just have to really make sure when we're doing these types of concepts and we've this will be like our 80th concept that we're launching after we launch uh Korean barbecue wow so <laughs> that's amazing. yeah like I said we never stop being busy and then on you know on the patient side we just launched uh, a salad series and then a sandwich series so previously we we didn't have any you know we did we didn't have a lot of like holiday promotions or LTOs for patients. You know, we always did LTOs for retail, I think at least 24 a year. So now this year we just did um, 16 LTOs for patients and then 12 holiday promotions. So every month of the year, there's a holiday promotion for patients. You know, if it's a barbecue salmon with sauteed collard greens on top of cheddar cheese grits, which I would pay $30 in a restaurant to go eat that. Mm-hmm. But now our patients get to have that, you know, for January, for New Year, New You. Um, so there's some it. form of a celebration plate. And then the cool thing was we did a plant-based version for every single one of those. So nice. it, it wasn't a barbecued salmon. We actually did a, a charred roasted barbecued cauliflower head on top mm. of the same setup with the collard greens. And, you know, why can't a vegetarian or someone who's, um, you know, veg-centric to a plant forward have an amazing yeah. meal? just as cool as what we did for somebody who was more meat centric. Yes, that's so true. And that's, you know, a common misperception about Southern food is that like, it's all bad for you. Right. There's tons of greens that are within it and yeah, corn. Absolutely. And I I was thinking too, um, we wanted to get just a little bit of your background and and how you came to be. So tell us, where did you grow (laughs) up? How did you learn how to cook? <laughs> so I, I grew up in Boston, which I have zero accent. Um, you no, don't. So you could, no, you couldn't even tell. I don't but, hear um, any of the pack, pack the car. And <laughs> my no, boss is terrible. All my accents are terrible. That's that's part of the fun. <laughs> no, I think if I'm around my parents enough, then my, okay. my accent will come out. Okay. But um, 
you know, I grew up in, in Boston. My, my grandmother, um, my grandmother on both sides were Russian, you know, including my great grandmother. So I used to sit in the kitchen on a little stool and then watch my grandparents cook when I was a kid. And a lot of the heritage that I was always taught is, is, is oral heritage. You know, the oral heritage or the tradition of our family actually happens in the kitchen. Yep. And so a lot of the recipes that I, I learned as a kid, you know, my mother, my grandmother and, and all their sisters would come and they would make amazing, you know, family meals on, on Friday or on Sunday. And I would get to sit there and I watched it. And then of course I watched Julia Child and Martin Yan and mm-hmm. um, Justin Wilson, you know, the oh, Cajun yeah. guest. I love him. Yes. I remember so, watching him with my mom. Yep. <laughs> well, and before there was the Food Network, of course, there yeah. was just PBS. It was so, PBS. Yep. You know, I went to high school. I actually have a degree in criminology and criminal justice. Um, so cool. <laughs> and then I went to culinary school after that. But I've been cooking since I was 14. My background, of course, is super, I'm super classically French trained, mm, um, five star, nice. five dining. Um, some of the coolest restaurants and hotels in the country, like the Breakers and oh, yeah. um, the Brazilian Court. And then I was a chef at the Peabody in Memphis. Oh, um, yes. I remember that you had mentioned that earlier. At the, And I know how to pronounce it. The Peabody is yes. how everybody says it, I think. Right. Somebody told, some a woman I used to work with told me that she was like the fanciest thing in the South that you could know of that we went as a family like together. It was a big special deal was the Peabody for like maybe brunch on Sundays they went or yep. something like that. It was like very much like a, this is an occasion type. So I think it was, it's the rooftop brunch on Sundays, which is probably one of the things, but the Peabody is known as, as the gateway to the South. And uh, mm-hmm. I got to privilege of working for two master French chefs. And at the Peabody was Jose Gutierrez, who's, um, his lineage actually goes back to like Paul Bocuse. So I had some amazing <laughs> mentors that I got to train under and oh, then before I think I was 24 years old and I was the executive chef at the Peabody before moving over to Opryland in Nashville. And um, <clears throat> I was the senior executive chef at the Opryland Hotel in Nashville. I got to uh, tour that place one time and that was incredible. There's a whole world behind the scenes there. Yeah. And a lot of it is a central kitchen and a bakery. And I remember real distinctly seeing a guitar, and a bread guitar. I was like, right. okay, this is, they do some amazing things there. It's wild. Yeah, it's a city. I mean, 2,400 yeah. plus rooms. I think oh, there's yeah five levels underneath it like you would get lost trying to go from location to location and all but, the great country music icons that have been through there oh yeah. that that vibe is like very much there super cool and then you had to cook for them you know all the time when they were performing <laughs> right. at the opry but you, uh, you know who I, was the who was the biggest star that you had to cook for at the opry um i don't get starstruck i get i get i get chef struck um, <laughs> i like you know, that i like that yeah, yeah i mean you know like, you know, Pam Tillis would be in for dinner or, you know, Vince Papaya from, you know, the, the movie with the Jets and um, <laughs> Riddick Bowe was in. And but then, you know, I used to do a lot of special events and celebrity cooking events. But, you know, I think if I, I get more scared when I'm cooking for Thomas Keller or oh, for sure. uh, Who Nancy be? Silverton or Alice Waters when I had to do a, <laughs> when we did a James Beard dinner I would and I had to cook for dinner Alice. for them. No, oh I was God. scared. That would be terrifying. Oh my gosh. She's so no nonsense. She's, she's what we need kind of at the voice. This is a different subject, but the voice for K through 12 and for the, the living, the edible classroom type thing, like, cause she's just uncom- uncompromising in, in her beliefs that like every kid should have fresh food. And like, we need people like that, that are really like extreme. Yeah. 
Yeah. What a treasure. I try not to get too, when I see, like, I don't like to bother celebrities. Like I think the last one that I bothered was um, Elvis Costello. And that was, it was like after a concert. So I, I went up and I, it was, it was okay. But for the most part, I just, I, I just want to leave them alone. So that well, they're, that they're off work. So, you know, they want to have their freedom in their time. Yeah, It's like they're people too, <laughs> but um, anyhow, so you, you were there and then you made the move into non-commercial food service. Yeah. Well, it was kind of a, it was an interesting, it was, my wife, uh, her mother had cancer twice. Hmm. So my wife actually, um, you know, she, she found out the news that her mother had breast cancer again. And then, you know, she looked to me and said, you know, we need to move. We need to go. Yeah. Yeah. So we actually both, you know, gave our notice, quit our jobs and on a whim, packed up, left Nashville and moved to Columbia, South Carolina, where wow. I wound up becoming a corporate chef for Ruth's Chris. And my wife, you know, moved into a different practice that she was working in. And and that kind of mm-hmm. changed, like, kind of the dynamic of my career, going from five-star, mm-hmm. five-diming, five, you know, fine-dining hotels and, and yeah. restaurants to being a corporate chef for Ruth's Chris, which I love because, you know, I didn't realize how much they scratch-cooked and, you know, how much food. Oh, was, yeah. It's yeah, not and they're, they're, bags. It's they're They're no. doing it there. That's cool. And it was an amazing brigade system that they had in place. And then, oh, of course, yeah. the economy bottomed out, you know, it was one of the the stock market crush, crashes, I think it was around 2007. And yeah. um, my job was eliminated. So all of a sudden, you know, I didn't have a job. The The housing and stock market crashed. And yeah, um, that was a bad economic time yep. for sure. Yeah. And I wound up in K through 12. And, you know, luckily I'm, you know, really big into the ACF and mm-hmm. I reached out to the ACF in Columbia, South Carolina. And, you know, within a week I was working and I was in, in K through 12 and I was managing 32 schools. Um, you oh. know, I called myself the head lunch lady. And, you know, I, <laughs> I think it was probably one of the most humbling career moves in my entire life yeah. is one, the blessing of serving 45,000 meals to children almost on a daily basis. But then yeah. two, you know, having the ability to write the menus for North Carolina, South Carolina, and Tennessee um, as a regional chef um, in K through 12 was probably one of the highlights of my career. I absolutely love that opportunity. That's so cool. And you have kids too, right? Yes. I have two boys, uh, 12 and 14. So they're my biggest critics and my sous Uh chefs. So yeah. (laughs) For sure. And that, that leads me into asking, what have you been cooking for them at home lately? Yeah. Um, you know, I prep every Sunday and, you know, I, like I said, they're my biggest critics. So as we're developing recipes, so, you know, uh, we have a brand new jerk chicken recipe with red beans and rice with some callaloo for patients that we're developing. Um, so, so so actually that's going to be what's for dinner tonight. And then after I have to modify it for textured and, you know, as for chopped and ground and texture modifications for our patients, you know, my kids, they constantly are are the guinea pigs for what I'm developing from an R&D standpoint. Nice. Lucky kids. And I think you had mentioned that when you do have to travel for work, which is kind of a lot, you will leave stuff behind in the fridge for them to find throughout the week. Like, I think you said something about an egg roll bowl that sounded amazing. Like, yep, yep. Is, is that kind of like cabbage is in there in the mix somewhere? Yeah, probably one of the easiest recipes that you can do. And it's so keto centric, um, you know, low carb. Mm-hmm big protein. But if you just ground like what I do and what's in our recipe is we actually ground turkey and you could actually pull the turkey out with, you know, uh, with garlic and ginger and lemongrass. And then you add um, a package of pre-cut shredded cabbage mix, you know, your coleslaw mix. And then of course um, I start putting some soy, citrus, 
you know, I love putting lime juice into um, into most dishes that we do by yeah. developing flavor. I can actually decrease the sodium. And it's one of the mm -hmm. techniques I use as a healthcare chef. And, but then I finish it with a hoisin and a little bit of sesame oil and that's it. Um, Chef's kiss. It, yeah. In less than <laughs> 10 minutes, I can create a meal that, you know, feeds my family. But we also have this as a retail concept uh, throughout all of Morrison Healthcare. And then we've also moved it over to the patient side. Very cool. That is, and food as medicine. I wanted to to find out yeah. one thing is how can we keep that on the forefront? People have started to kind of pick up on this idea, especially in healthcare dining on the forefront. Obviously it makes sense, but how can we sort of like keep the momentum going for it, I guess? Yeah. I, I mean, I think after the pandemic, you know, I, I think some people weren't fully on the bus, of course, before the pandemic, but after the yeah. pandemic, a lot of people realized that, you know, food is an important part of not mm -hmm. just making you feel better, but it, it, it also has to do with mental health. And then of course, physical health. So yep. you are what you eat. Mm -hmm. um, so being cognitive of not just what you're putting into your body, but where your food comes from. And then yeah. when you start thinking about, you know, eating local, eating right, you know, we always talk yeah. about menuing the right food in the right months. And, and mm -hmm. part of that is, you know, making sure, you know, you don't eat a tomato salad in December when tomatoes aren't in season, no, that's something you want no. to eat in the summertime. So part of that is just not just, like I said, physical health, but of course, mental health. Um, how do we keep that in the forefront? Um, you know, a lot of it is, is, is our partnerships. You know, we do teaching kitchens um, oh, yeah. throughout a lot of our hospitals where we're, we're teaching not only the patients, but also the caretakers, the caregivers, and then yeah. of course, the the employees and you know i think like i said a lot of people don't understand that cooking is could be simple and if you do mm -hmm. think about what you're eating you know in the beginning of the week and you're not you know with with two kids who play sports constantly one yeah. of the worst things i can do is eat fast food or pizza on a nightly basis so that's part of the reason that we meal prep um yeah. So then when we're running in the house at 730 at night, it's not mm -hmm. convenient eating. We're, we're eating because we're eating something that we enjoy and we love. Um, yeah. And I, I think like that's that. all part yeah. of, you know, the healing power of food. You know, I used to tell my dietitians if when I was in K through 12, if the only thing getting fat is the trash can and the kids aren't eating the food, then it's not, you know, it sounds great on paper, but if they're not eating it, then they're not they're not getting the nutrients that they need. And that's part of the reason that, like I said, we're taking the word hospital out of hospital food. We just want to start yeah. with great food first is because we get three chances a day, you know, mm -hmm. breakfast, lunch, and mm -hmm. dinner to really give somebody an amazing sustainable meal that's full yeah. of packed with nutrients and flavor and, and love. So, and that's part of the healing power of food is oh, we yeah. want to get people to try something and you know, in the two and a half days as our average guest um, guests stay in our hospitals. Mm -hmm. But in that two and a half days, imagine if we gave them three amazing meals per day and they ate it. Um, mm -hmm. Then that was our goal, of course, is just to deliver amazing to flavor every yeah. time. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then when they get home, they can say, oh, that thing that I had, that was really good. Maybe I could yep. do something similar. And then that's where, as you said, the education part of it comes in. So having like hands-on classes like that, so awesome for people to, to learn more. And taking a little bit of a turn, I had something you said kind of jogged something in my mind. You'd mentioned that you're super classically French trained and we have the brigade, yep. we have the mother sauces. Those are probably all still kicking around in your head. Like, you know, all of that stuff. Do you think somebody going into culinary school, like, are they still, is that still a thing? Like there's so many other like nationalities that we're focused on, but do you feel like French is kind of like the foundation still where you can like, where every chef kind of like knows this language type thing? Yeah. So, okay. So, you know, it's interesting. Like I said, I, I worked in a lot of great restaurants and hotels before I ever went to culinary school. You know, I got a degree 
in criminal justice and then decided to go to culinary school. And then, of course, when I was going to culinary school, I was working at the Breakers, you know, 14 plus hours a day in some of the best restaurants in the country. And I learned more in culinary school than I thought I was going to learn. And I still apply it to this day, including, you know, the culinary math, the terminology, you know, yep. properly cooking chicken to, you know, au point or, you know, a doré crust on a, a perfectly pan seared, or we talk about fond. Mm -hmm. So those mm -hmm. terms, I think, are forever. And then, yeah. you know, as the president of the ACF chapter of the Chefs of the Low Country, and I'm also an approved certified certified culinary um you know, I do the test exams. So oh, for nice. certification. Oh, for ACF. Yes. Correct. So I I've just seen did. that happening. So you have to yeah. be very serious. You have to put on your, your poker face because they're, they're not messing around and they don't no. like to joke around with you. And I learned that the hard way. <laughs> no, very, no. Yeah. Very it's... intense. Yeah. Cause you're watching like each and every step that they do. It's not just the finished product. You're watching how those chefs do each and every part of it. It's, and yeah. it's tough. I mean, they put themselves out there, you know, we yeah. just did a test yeah. last week and imagine having three certified chefs standing around or watching every move that you do. And, you know, if it's no, no, the, no. even, you know, the certified executive chef or the certified uh, chef de cuisine or the sous chef exam, um, you know, that's why I said, you know, I think exactly what you were talking about, everything is still relevant. And yes. if you still have to know how to cook classically, you know, even if you're throwing molecular gastronomy and you mm -hmm. have to know how to properly sear and season food before you put it it's, into a, a cryo bag. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you can tell when somebody just runs wild and they don't understand like what, you know, the, the basis of it all for sure. Right. And then let's see, the last thing that I wanted to ask you is if you have any sneak peeks for us, anything coming up, you gave us a, quite a few with all the, all the different concepts coming up, anything else you wanted to share that we can look forward to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, we never stop being innovative. We never stop always happening outside the box. You know, I'm working on a pepperhead concept for for 2025, Ooh. um, which is exciting. We we haven't gone there. We're doing um, you know, my team is like knee deep, I think, right now in in, in patient development. Um, we developed 110 new recipes over the last 60 Whoa. days that spread to our top four diets, which is like I think 73% of our patient population. But it just think about like you know, what that looks like if you're a, a regular diet or cardiac or heart healthy or consistent yeah. car patient, you're getting the same meal as, as now the regular diet patient. And it's, there's That's no difference. That's a huge deal. That's a right. big difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just excited about it because, you know, I, I geek out about food. Um, you know, <laughs> Nerd alert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. But, you know, if it's, a, we're de we just did a Berea taco bowl, which, you know, Berea tacos oh, are yes. so on trend. But mm -hmm. once again, if you deconstructed that and did a bowl build, what would that look like? And how cool would that eat? With, as yeah, a patient? with a consomme would be kind of like you could yep. soak that up in something. Oh, yeah, that's, I love or, it. We just did a pozole. You know, a lot of it is, oh, yeah. I think what you talked about is, you know, I call it global Americanism because, you know, America as a huge melting pot, you know, mm -hmm. it's not even just regional Americanism anymore. It's now global right. Americanism where, yeah. you know, we're such a melting pot in every city or town mm -hmm. that, you know, when we're taking care of a, our clients in the Pacific Northwest, we have kanji now on our breakfast menus for patients. Oh, so. Yeah. And then down in the Southwest, we have to have a uh, pork and hatch chili stew for breakfast mm -hmm. or a pozole mm -hmm. or a menudo. And then, of course, in the South, you know, we have shrimp and grits on our patient menus. Yes. So I think that's a lot of the research and development that we're doing is that, like I said, that global Americanism, you know, if it's it's Gullah Geechee, 
uh, recipe development here. I was here just about to bring that Savannah, up. Georgia. I, I want to put a pin in that. And I always want to learn more about that Gullah Geechee um, foodways. So right. you and I are going to have to talk more and share more information about that. Cause, and that's where your region is. So that's, yep. that's a big part of the low country. Very cool. No, I love it and would love to talk to you more about it. And yeah, come on down and we can go actually experience Gullah Geechee cuisine. I would love that. Yes, let's absolutely do that. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being here. We will stay in touch. We're so proud of everything that you're doing. Thank you so much for feeding these folks. Thanks again. I appreciate it. 